Welcome to Humans of CX, a podcast powered by OzoneTel. We share the latest insights in customer experience from industry experts to help you humanize your approach, placing empathy at the center of the customer experience. I'm your host, Todd Vecca. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Humans of CX. I'm your host, Todd Becca, and today I have the great honor and privilege to be joined by Ravi Rajani, a good friend of mine. He's the host of the Influential Communicator podcast, also the founder of Ravi Rajani, where he's doing some consulting and helping folks do business by telling stories. And just so everybody knows, he's also one of my mentors and somebody who helped me to sell better, especially during the pandemic and the remote environment. So Ravi, welcome. And Tell us a little bit about yourself and what's been going on in your life, please. What's happening, bro? So yeah, thank you for the intro, man. Too kind, too kind. And yeah, what do I do? Well, yeah, like you said, I help sales teams sell more with story. But recently, my story is all about nappies, baby food, baby well, baby milk, like low sleep. Like I'm in the thick of it, man. Six weeks, less than six weeks into the game. My daughter was born three weeks early. I'll tell you what, man. It was the most incredible experience, but also the shock of my life. I think about it now where I used to sit in the shower and be like, what am I going to do? You know, I might have some breakfast. Maybe I'll go to the coffee shop and just maybe walk the dog. And now I'm like <laughs> going to the dog groomers in my pajamas this morning and had chocolate for breakfast. So that's my life now, bro. It's a little bit different. You have 18 years of your schedule being planned out for you just to give you a preview of what's ahead fantastic so not ready for it but fantastic it's amazing so i mean we talked about this a little bit i have two daughters my kids are grown but it really does change you and it changes the way you kind of look at the world and treat people and so forth so since we're on the topic of family i know that you said that your mom enrolling you in dance school is probably the best decision of her life and maybe yours can you tell us what that means and why yeah, man, she Miyagi'd me. She absolutely Miyagi'd me. So for those of you listening to this right now, if you've ever watched The Karate Kid, if you remember, Daniel's son was learning how to paint a fence. Daniel's son was washing cars. He was doing all these things that he just couldn't understand how this was going to help him win a karate competition. Now, when my mom enrolled me into the same dance school as my little sister, I was fuming, dude. I was fuming, but deep down, I was like, man, this is actually dope. I've actually never felt more alive when I'm on stage. I absolutely love it. I became addicted to it. But on the face of it, I was petrified that my dirty little secret was going to be exposed to everybody in school. And it was, but that's another story for another day. But what she was secretly, and I think unknowingly as well, teaching me was a lesson in stage presence storytelling. And then when eventually she let me quit, I ended up stumbling into theater as a teen. And unknowingly, I was learning a lesson in public speaking and how to share a message on stage in high stakes scenarios. And you can imagine what all of those things are good for when you enter the world of sales, right? So I feel like every micro experience in my life, and I think in everybody's lives, are always leading us towards a higher purpose. And we never really know at the time why it's serving us. But when we look back, we're like, man, I'm so lucky I did that or that we did that, or whatever it could be. So I think everything is happening for us, not to us, no matter how difficult it might be at the time. Absolutely. And most people don't know this, but my mom also enrolled me into dance school, but I had a different experience. So the teacher said that my hips were tone deaf. So I did one class. She said, you're never going to make it in this business. 
So that's how I fell into sales. I figured there was nothing else I was able to do. So that's a little bit different past, but I do agree with your sentiment. Your hips being tone deaf. That's funny. I like that. So we're here today to talk a little bit about storytelling and how that relates to business and customer experience. Tell us about storytelling in general, because obviously storytelling has been around for years, but we don't always think of it as, well, how do I use this in a work environment or a business environment? Yeah, it's interesting. I think there is a lot of salespeople and sales leaders that know storytelling is important. But when you look under the hood, there's not always an understanding of why, and there's not much use of it inside of their sales process. Because I think the idea is that storytelling is great for books, Hollywood, TV shows, but people get confused about how to use it inside of the sales process. And what they end up doing is, for example, and you know this better than anybody, man, having partnered together, a lot of the time people will craft mission statements, right? Or they will craft case studies. And they'll be like, yo, Rav, look at this story. Look at this story. And I take a look at it and it's a narrative, but not every narrative is a story. And what's interesting for me is there are several books out there. For example, Paul Smith has one on sell with story. I haven't read all of it. I've read parts of it. Mike Adams has one called seven stories. Every salesperson must sell. Once again, read nuggets of it. And they've got some great learnings about what are the key ingredients for a sales story. Now, for me, building upon that and contextualizing it to my experience, I bought it down to thinking like an acorn. And people, every time I say that, people are like, what do you mean? What's acorn got to do with anything? And I say, well, look, there was a dude called Ralph Emerson. And he once said that the creation of a thousand trees, or I think it was a forest, is in one acorn. And I believe that the creation of thousands of relationships is in one story. And for me, ACORN is an acronym. So A stands for attention grabbing. I mean, man, how many times have you scrolled through LinkedIn and you're like, no, no, no. And then suddenly there was a hook which grabbed you and you clicked on see more. That's exactly what a story should be. It should be unpredictable to capture people's attention. Because the truth is, Todd, if I don't have your attention, then I can't teach you something of value. And I can't ultimately help you solve your million-dollar problem. So you really got to think about when it comes to storytelling at any stage of the sales process, and there are different stories you can share, but how can you make it attention-grabbing? Now, C stands for containing a relatable main character. Man, I can't tell you how many times when I was in the startup world selling that I shared the right story with the wrong client. Sometimes we share an enterprise-level story with an SME client, and it creates an immediate disconnect. Or even worse, we say, oh, well, Todd, thank you for saying that. Well, I remember this one time we actually helped the company over at Ramp Logistics in Arizona. And I'm just making that up. But people don't connect with companies. They connect with human beings, in my opinion. So who is the human being behind the company? Because that is the relatable main character that somebody can see themselves in when it comes to the pains, the desires, and the transformation. So there's a difference between Ravi Rajani, the VSVP of sales at Gong in the US, who lives in San Francisco with his dog, daughter, and wife, versus Gong, right? There's a complete difference between the two. Now, I don't work for Gong. I don't live in the US. That's just an example. But you see what I mean. Your story should contain a relatable main character that somebody can see themselves in. Let me think about, oh, your story should organically unfold within a simple story arc. Now, dude, I don't know about you, but I have a friend called Rich, okay? And every time 
I speak to Rich, tells me a story. He's like, Rav, I've got this great story. I'm like, all right, man, I'm a sucker for a story. So tell me. 12 minutes later, it has a beginning, it has a middle, then it goes back to the beginning, it goes to the end, and then it goes back to the middle again. And I'm like, where was the business value in this story? It doesn't follow a logical sequence. And the really simple story that I get reps to think about is these four steps. The context, the conflict, the turning point, and the transformation, which leads itself beautifully into R, which is revealing the villain inside of the ACORN framework. You need to reveal the villain. Now, think about this, Todd. January 1984, Steve Jobs released the Macintosh, but he didn't come out on stage and say, hey, look at these shiny features. Look at it. Look at it. Look at the Macintosh. It's got this. It's got this. It's got that. No. He came out on stage and he first unveiled the villain, which was IBM. Now, Ladies and gents listening, this is a disclaimer. Ravi is not telling you to trash your competition when it comes to your storytelling. But what is a million dollar problem in the eyes of your ideal client? Now, more often than not, it's not the pain, it's the underlying root cause. Meaning, I hurt my lower back recently, right? So Todd, I ring up my physio, Louise. I'm like, yo, Louise, you need to fix my back and pop it back into place. She says, okay, cool. I'll see you tomorrow at nine. I'm like, okay. I'll see you at nine. I get into her uh, clinic, which is in her home. She's prodding around. She's feeling around. She goes, I'm like, oh, is it a slip disc? I'm thinking. And she goes, Rav, the problem's not with your back. I'm like, well, it is. My lower back is the issue. That's where it hurts. She said, "Mm -mm. the problem's actually with your flat feet. If we retrain the way you walk and support your arch, that will help your knees and in turn help your back. So for salespeople, they're often selling symptoms, right? They're also often appealing to symptoms, aka the lower back versus the flat foot, which is the underlying root cause, aka the million dollar problem. And in your stories, think about the conflict being the million dollar problem that your ideal client is struggling with in that moment. And this is more applicable to, say, a customer success story, right? In the context of that. And then N is nurture trust. No pitch slapping people right? You've got to meet the buyer with where they are at. You can't ask somebody to marry you on a first date. So why would you do it inside of your story? You share it and then you go, okay, so would you like to book a discovery call? And they're like, whoa, I just met you, right? It could be just simply asking a high impact question to elicit a response. So I've done a lot of uh, talking there, but ultimately the ACORN checklist is what reps can use to really think about how to craft a compelling sales story. And obviously, it's got really without, I suppose it goes without saying, your story's got to add business value. Yeah, I will tell you. So the first time I heard that was from you a few years ago and it changed my life. And coming up as a young sales pup and being taught how to do a PowerPoint and what to say, and it's, you know, every slide has five data points and then you talk about your reference customers and there's, there's this formula where you become a commodity, right? Everybody is doing the same presentation over time. So then when you come and be somebody different and think differently and do things differently, and you see the results of that, it's life-changing. So that kind of transition to my next question, how have you been successful getting businesses to buy into this at any size, really going through the acorn, the four steps, but how do you get them to say, wow, I want that, but I've been doing it this way and these have been my results? Well, I like to take it back to a smoker, meaning imagine, Todd, do you smoke? I do not smoke, no. So let's assume you did, okay? Let's assume Todd's been smoking for 30 years, 30 cigarettes a day. And I say, Todd, listen, brother, 
I got this new app. You're like, oh, Rav, tell me more. And I'm like, listen, man, it's going to cure your addiction to nicotine in less than 30 days, guaranteed. It's got this feature. It's got this. It's going to track the times where you are craving it the most. And it's going to do this. It's going to do that. And you go, well, I'm kind of fine as I am. And it's not really costing me much right now. I'm rich. I don't care about spending the money. I'm rich. And you know what? I'm all right as I am. I'm going to be fine exactly as I am. It's not going to change my life. I'm going to stay as I am. Sorry, Rav, but thank you. So in that scenario, even though I've got a product, which I believe in, I'm assuming that somebody's ready for change today. And what I really have to do first is shift somebody's perspective. And the way I like to think about it is if you elicit an emotion, a very specific emotion, that initiates a new thought. And that new thought can ultimately challenge somebody's belief system, which ultimately gets them to take action because thoughts provoke action. So the idea is, is getting people to ultimately buy into a new concept, whether it's storytelling or anything, is we're trying to create a departure from the status quo. And we're ultimately selling change. So once again, I try and do that through storytelling. Because I'll tell you what, man, I could tell somebody, hey, stop smoking. It's going to do this, this, that. Change. Okay, fine. They know that. But how can you create an emotional connection which moves them enough that they want to take action and solve their problem? And for me, it's done through storytelling. So kind of meta, but I do a lot of my work through uh, LinkedIn content and uh, ultimately uh, through my podcast and different ways of reaching people. But I do a lot of my work through storytelling myself. Absolutely. And your LinkedIn posts are incredible, by the way. They're always eye-catching and they, they just kind of make you want to go to the next thing. So we'll post all your socials at the bottom of this. this. Thank you, brother. Appreciate um, it. That also transitions to, I have a psychology background. That's kind of how I got my start. And there's a stat that we've talked about before that 90% of decisions are made subconsciously. So just hearing that, that fascinates me. Why do you think that's true? And how does that kind of work? Because I think a lot of decision makers think, oh, well, I I thought about this logically and I read all of these papers and I saw the quote and I talked to my legal team and like all this mumbo jumbo stuff, but 90% is actually subconscious. Explain that to me if you could. Yeah, dude, I will. But I had no idea that you did psychology, which actually makes a lot of sense because when we partnered together, there were certain concepts that you understood really well. And actually, it must have brought down to your psychology degree. That's awesome, brother. So I'm going to take it back to a Yale professor that I had on my podcast called Dr. Zoe Chance. She is incredible. She's got a great book called Influences Your Superpower. But inside of that book, she ultimately talks about something similar that we've just touched upon, which is the idea that we have two parts of our brain, the gator and the judge. Now, the gator is the part of our mind which makes snap, instinctive, and intuitive decisions. And the judge is the rational part of our minds, right? Which is a bit more, it's a lot more longer decision-making, right? It's a lot more thoughtful and intentional. Now, for better words, a way of putting it. Now, she believes that 95% of our decision-making comes from the gator, aka that emotional part of our brain. And she boils it down to a study which was done on 1,100 parole decisions of Israeli judges. And it was fascinating, brother. So here's what was very interesting. When the judges didn't have fatigue or were feeling hangry, we all know what it's like when we feel hangry, right? When they weren't experiencing those specific emotions, 
or feelings, which were at the start of the day or just after lunch, two thirds of prisoners went back to society. But here's what happened when they were hangry and tired towards the end of the day. Virtually everybody went back to prison because the judge had decision fatigue and they couldn't use that rational part of their brain and logical part of their brain. They went back to the instinctive part of us and it went back to the emotional part of the brain, which is used for decision making. And I find that fascinating, especially when people say we sell into CFOs or we sell into legal companies or analytical decision makers, there's often a belief that they don't, or I suppose they aren't susceptible to storytelling. And here's the thing. They love books. They love TV shows. They love movies. They love storytelling, but it's the way it's framed. Because you can't come on a call and be like, imagine a world where, right? It's not a TEDx talk, right? It's about sales stories and doing a conversational tone. So I think a lot of the time, it's the way we view storytelling as well and the way that we believe people make decisions. Yeah, so ever since I heard that, I started, um, whenever I get a speeding ticket, I try to go for a morning a morning appointment with the judge. So, so far, it's been working out. So I appreciate that. There you go, man. There you go. So another thing that we've been talking about recently on the show is, I don't know if it's the same in England, but there's definitely like this trend in America that we're calling quiet quitting or silent quitting. So we talked about storytelling from the customer side. How can businesses also maybe leverage storytelling to help that employee experience? Because I think, you know, employees are burnt out. They're feeling kind of like this is going nowhere. Let's look for the next job. How can maybe managers and administrators help with storytelling internally as building that culture? Yeah, man, it's a good question. And I can only speak from my experience as a sales leader and also from partnering with organizations on this. But I think it all boils down to how we do one thing is how we do everything. Meaning, a lot of the times, if you look at past relationships, I don't know about you, Todd, but I think about before I got married, if I look at past relationships that didn't work out, the thing that I noticed on the first or second day was probably the thing that broke us months down yeah. the line, right? So what you notice early on, sometimes we don't take notice of it because we're in the honeymoon phase, because we're in pain at another job and we're like, you know what? I just want to find somewhere new. We don't think about the signals. For example, how was that interview handled? What type of questions did they ask? What was the process like? What did the job application even look like? What was the style of the leader when you asked questions? Were they collaborative? So I, I think a lot of storytelling happens actually in the interview process because how you ultimately handle these interviews will tell a story about you, your company, and future pace that candidate to what life will look like with you if they stay with you a year down the line. I think that's fascinating as well. I think another thing, which is actually very important is, and Kevin Dorsey spoke about this on my podcast, actually, the influential communicator, a great guy. And he, he was speaking about the idea. I gave him a scenario and I said, dude, if you were back in your days as a sales leader, if you were given some big target from your CEO, somebody in the C-suite, and all of a sudden, they change that target two months later. How would you ultimately communicate that shift in target through storytelling to the team to get buy-in? And I think a lot of people just go to the team and they say, right, so I spoke to Nigel and it's not looking good, okay? We need to up the quota by X. And I know, I know things keep changing, but it's not my fault. It's not my fault, right? And we ultimately forget about 
how to use story setting in a way to get buy-in, to inspire them to take action, to have people think about this vision of what life will look like with this new goal, to get them think about if they want to get onboarded on the new vision and ultimately shift the narrative in their minds, right? Because the story that they were telling themselves before is going to be different to the story that you need to tell yourself moving forward. So I don't know if I gave you a complete answer there without going too deep for the show, but ultimately using storytelling to inspire change is very important versus just giving them facts and figures because they need to be emotionally bought in in the new scenario versus simply saying, okay, well, these are my targets and I want you to care about them as much as I do because I can tell you now the employees won't. Yeah, no, you did answer my question. And I will tell you as the, we're all protagonists of our own story, there's been times in my life where you see the red flags, but you want the ending of that story that you've imagined so bad that you just kind of ignore them. And this could be whether it's jobs or dating or friendships or anything. And ultimately, I think we all have good enough radar that the red flags end up becoming reality over time if things don't change. So I think you did answer it. I like that. Uh, Dude, can I just add one thing, brother, before you do it? You know what I find really interesting here, and I'm passionate about this, is the concept of showing versus telling. Imagine uh, Scott, Todd, if I, who's Scott? Why am I thinking about Scott? I'm thinking about- he's my, He has another podcast. He's my, he's my brother. <laughs> <laughs> it's the baby brain. I told you, man, it's the baby brain. I'm losing mental capacity. But what I think is very interesting is a concept of showing versus telling. I could tell you, hey, I'm a world-class closer. And you're like, all right, okay, dude. Or I could show you through story and explain about a time where I closed a deal which exhibited the traits of somebody being world-class. That is going to ultimately plant that seed in your mind that, hey, this person could be a world-class closer. So when companies say, we really value learning, well, how are you showing that inside of the interview process? For example, are you asking certain questions about their learning and development and showing them about what you specifically have the team focus on with your L&D training or whatever it could be. So a lot of the time, we are so focused on telling people things versus showing them through story. And I think the concept of showing versus telling is so subtle, but it's so underused. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I think sales in general gets kind of a negative connotation associated. I think in some ways, it's our own fault, right? It's from telling and saying, hey, we can get you in a new car yesterday if you do this, 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 and that. It's kind of like tropey and it's old. What is a commonly held belief about storytelling that maybe you disagree with or something that most people would just assume is true that you kind of go against the grain on? I think there's quite a few. I think often there's an idea or a school of thought that storytelling is a secondary skill set that a salesperson needs. I think sometimes people say, yeah, but we want them to do better discovery, but we want them to show up in this way when they're negotiating. Stories involved in all of that. And that my truth is, my perspective is, your team are already sharing stories. The question is, are they sharing sales stories? Are they sharing good ones? And are they sharing ones at the right time to motivate and inspire your prospects to take action? Because I believe salespeople are storytellers. Salespeople are speakers and storytellers, whether they know it or not. I think as human beings, we all are. We're all salespeople, we're all storytellers, and we're all speakers. We're always communicating our story, our value, and our message in some way. The question is, are you doing it effectively? But from an actual individual level, on a sales rep level, what I see, Todd, is quite fascinating, where a lot of people will say, but I'm not an extrovert. And I'm like, that's interesting. 
Because I think some of the most impactful speakers and storytellers on the world are introverts, right? Or I consider myself an ambivert. So you could be a mix between the two. But the other, I would say, story that individuals tell themselves is storytellers are born. They believe that it's not a skill set or a muscle that can ultimately be built over time. They think you're either born that way. You, they think you're either born with it or you're not, rather. You either have it or you don't, kid. Like, you know, like the old Hollywood term. You got it, kid. You either have it or you don't, and you got it. And I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I feel like it's, and I believe that it's a skill that can be trained. So I say those are the two common ones. And I think what's very interesting is to give you a final one is a belief that storytelling and showing up as who you truly are may be deemed as unprofessional. And I secretly see that among sales reps. They go, well, if I actually share a story about something personal or my personal story, that may alienate a prospect. And actually, they'll go do business with somebody else. I don't want to do that. So be professional. And often professional means speaking like this in a pitch voice and using corporate jargon like shareholder value. And people can't connect with that. People cannot connect with that. And I see you're smiling there because you've probably seen it all the time. I've been taught it. So I remember uh, one of my early sales managers saying, don't get too personal, like stick to the product, stick to the business value, stick to what we offer as a company. And then we all become robots in that scenario and not in a good way. I mean, we robots are fine, but uh, not when it comes to that personal connection and people wanting to buy from people they trust. It just, it, it's contradictory. So such a good point, brother. Such a good point. And I'm interjecting you again. No, please do. No, please about do. This, man. But I believe, you know, if I think about trust, and I think about the way that I buy high ticket or high value items. I have to really trust the salesperson. You know, do I trust them that they can actually help me go from pain to glory? Meaning, have you ever had a salesperson who told you they were going to send you a contract tomorrow or book a meeting in your diary or send you a deck by tomorrow and it never happened? It happened a week later. Do you trust that that individual? could put you in the right vehicle to take you from pain to glory? Probably not. The next thing is the company. Do they have the values that you trust in? Do you want to be associated with a company like that? And do you believe in what they stand for? And then the service or the product, do you trust that it's going to solve your million dollar problem? So I see trust as a three-pronged approach and stories are beautiful in helping accelerate trust. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned a couple of books earlier in the show. I was going to ask you, what stories or what books are you reading at the moment to maybe kind of just open up your horizons or just what interests you in terms of books that are out there today? Yeah, man. You know, it's funny. I've been more focused on podcasts actually recently and less about storytelling, but one guy who I've just really grown, he's kind of grown on me over time is a guy called Alex Hormozzi. Don't know if you know him. Do you know Alex Hormozzi? I, I do not, no. So he had a book called, I think it was called $100 Million Offers. And I read it a while ago and I was like, this is really interesting stuff. Like this guy wasn't holding anything back. He was just giving, giving, giving. And you know, you can tell in the way that somebody communicates where they're holding information back because they secretly are thinking, well, you know what? Then you're not going to pay me for my services, right? I'm going to hold this back. I'm going to hold this back. But this dude was going for it, man. And you could tell from his energy. Fantastic book. And it's done incredibly well. And his podcast is something that I like listening to about business. It's fantastic. And also the way he shows up on social, I think is awesome. Who else do I look at for storytelling? You know, it's funny. I look at so many different individuals, 
when it comes to storytelling, but not in the way we would think. Like I look at certain movies and I'll be like, oh, look at the way they did that. Or mm. I'll listen to a song and I'll be like, oh, look at the way they did that. Or I'll listen to a relationship expert talking about something on YouTube. I'm like, oh, the way they frame that is incredible. So that's cool. But book-wise, I think Robert Cialdini's influence, I don't know if you've had a chance to dig deep into some of the principles inside of that. Now, I haven't read the full book, but I have uh, learned a lot about his principles and it's fantastic. It will teach you a lot about influential communication. Now, the book was written probably about 35 years ago, 30 years ago, but the principles really hold and the way that one can use them inside of the sales process ethically, I think is really important. Awesome. Awesome. And what advice would you give younger Robbie, if you could? How young are we talking? Especially being a new dad. What what would you say to 18-year-old Robbie? We'll, We'll just pick an age. I think if you'd asked Ravi eight weeks ago, it would have been like, get some eye cream and some moisturizer that hides the wrinkles. But 18-year-old Ravi is break the mask. And when you show up as who you truly are, you will attract people, things, and opportunities that are aligned with the real you versus the image you're portraying to the world. Wow. That's pretty deep. That's awesome. And we always like to finish with a question, something about the future. So in this case, where do you see storytelling? Because storytelling obviously has been around since there's been a couple of people trying to communicate, right? But where does this go in 10 years in terms of as it relates to business? And how do you see this taking off, whether it's in your own business or just seeing trends? Is there any difference? Are we going to be doing the same types of things, making the same mistakes? Or how do you see storytelling if it's adopted, transform some of these businesses that I know you're working with? I think, look, as you said, storytelling is one of the most amazing ways to connect with human beings, right? And other people, whether it's prospects, whether it's family members, anybody in any walk of life. And it's one of those things that it's not a brand new concept, right? What I'm talking about is not this brand new thing, right? It's just come out last year. It's been around for God knows how long. But I think companies more than ever are understanding the importance of it. But I do still feel like it's a bit of a buzzword It's like the word empathy right now or adding value. It's like one of those things where it's just like it's used a lot. It's probably in every other post on LinkedIn. But I think there's more of a movement now of understanding what it is and ultimately how it can benefit one's organization. I mean, just take a look at the content that you see on social platforms that you love. The ones that pop, I can almost guarantee the reason you connect with it is because of the story that they're telling. So I think when you see sales reps seeing that and realizing stories are a way of connecting with people, they're going to start using it and gaining conviction that it's going to help them connect with their prospects better. That's going to reinforce the importance of it. And it's only going to create more momentum. And I see that happening now more than ever before, man. What do you think? So the thing that I'm always careful of is we're talking about robots and AI more and so forth. And so I'm a big believer in storytelling and you're a big reason for that. And I kind of love the more of the old English literature and kind of how you have this protagonist and they go through this change and they come out a better person at the end and there's a villain, all that stuff. So I I get all that. That's never going to change. I think the thing that we need to be mindful for is that we're not a victim of our own progress when it comes to that human element in business, right? So now my mother doesn't, she has a customer service issue. She doesn't always know what to do next because she's used to just picking up the phone. Well, now if she does that, it's a three hour hold time or whatever. Or my daughter, on the other hand, if she has a bad CX experience, she'll just tweet something. The company will get back to her in literally seconds and try to resolve the issue. So 
I just get worried that generationally, we want to stay together and tell the same kind of story and not be divided based on how technology is segmenting those people. And that may have been a little bit of a little bit of a rant, but um, that's just the thing I want to be mindful of. I, I sell technology, but there's always going to be a human element and always someone to tell a real story to. Yeah, man. It's funny. When I used to work on the trading floor, that's where I really started my career in corporate sales. There was, after a year or two of being there, there was this real idea where people were scared that software and computers were going to take their jobs. And to an extent, for certain traders on the trading floor, it happened, right? It happened. But one role that really was required was salespeople because of that human element and the stories that we tell to really connect with people. And unfortunately, machines can't do that for us. And I think one thing to note as well here, brother, is what I also see is hopefully sales leaders will know that customer success stories are not the only ones that we can share. And I feel like sometimes when I talk to leaders, they go, yeah, we just need some good customer success stories. And that is not the only story that we can share. You know, there's personal stories. There is, yeah, as I said, customer success stories. There are cost of inaction stories, stories which handle objections. There's so many ways to weave it and embed it into our sales process and presentations. I just hope that we don't get stuck with this. This one time we helped X do Y. Do you want to buy, right? There's more to it. And there's nuances around customer success stories, but also know that, there's various other ones that we can share for impact. Yeah, I love it. Robbie, we're about out of time here. So I want to thank you again so much for this. I could talk to you for hours and I've learned so much from you. Again, we're going to post all of the socials at the bottom of this and thank our subscribers for listening and joining. And uh, Robbie, any closing thoughts before we wrap for today? Any closing thoughts? Hmm. I don't know who said this quote. I don't know if it is me or if it's somebody else before me. I can't remember, but hey, we are the stories that we tell ourselves. Awesome. Awesome. Robbie, thank you so much. And you're welcome back anytime. We love talking to you. Appreciate you, brother. All right. Thank you for listening to Humans of CX, a podcast brought to you by OzoneTel. If you enjoyed today's show, visit OzoneTel.com to learn more about how our robust omni-channel communications platform makes it the industry leader within the customer experience space. You can find Humans of CX on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, as well as other platforms that are featuring podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and share. Thank you so much for listening.